This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, the world. This is They Will Kill, a true crime podcast. I am Courtney Eck. And I'm Sadie Eck. And we're sisters, and I know you're all just dying to hear who else got killed in Phoenix at the same time that a fuck ton of other people got killed in Phoenix, so you've come to the right place, because Sadie's going to tell you all about it today. I sure am. I'm ready to do it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a little... uh... It sounded like a children's <laughs> program. I sure am. Alrighty. <laughs> All rickety righty. Let's go. <laughs> uh, people have all turned off our podcast. Yeah, Just exactly. you and me talking now. Um, I think that's pretty par for the course. So with all that said, <laughs> go for it. Eck. So tonight we're going to talk about the Phoenix serial shooters. I don't like the sound of it already. No, you shouldn't like it. Over 16 months, starting in 2005, two separate sets of serial killers plagued the Phoenix area. At least 17 people were killed and dozens more were assaulted and injured before police arrested suspects in both sets of killing sprees. Yuck. Last episode, we talked about the baseline killer who snatched women and children off the streets, raped some and murdered others. At the same time, someone was driving around Phoenix, shooting pedestrians from their car window. Mm Mm-mm. They targeted people they believed to be transients, sex workers, or immigrants. Mm -mm. The victims were both men and women, young and old, of all races and ethnicities. It all began May 17, 2005, when 39-year-old Tony Mendez was worried about a family he knew who had lost their electricity. Even in May, Phoenix is hot. He worried they were suffering without a way to cool down their home, and he knew that children lived there. He didn't want them sitting in the dark. There wasn't much that Tony could do, but he had candles and bottled water and decided to bring the supplies over to the family. Mm. No. Tony hopped on his bike, said goodbye to his good friend and roommate Ricky, and rode off into the night. And then he brought them water, and then he started a GoFundMe, and the family restored their power, and now all of the children are doctors and senators. I wish. God damn it. Ricky was still standing outside when friends of theirs ran up to him. They'd heard someone was dead on the side of the road next to a bike. One of the friends recognized the bicycle and wanted to see if Ricky and Tony were okay. Ricky was fine. Tony was not. Mm. Tony had been shot once in the back. It had gone straight through his heart, and he had died almost immediately. The bullet had come from a twenty-two caliber long rifle. These are single-shot rifles used most often for small game hunting. Mm -hmm. Police questioned people in the area. There were no witnesses. Talking to Tony's family and friends didn't help either. Tony was loved by everyone, and they couldn't think of a single person who would want to do this to him. No! If you're the guy that brings the family supplies because you're worried about them. Right. (laughs) I know. Exactly one week later, on May 24th, 56-year-old Reginald Remillard was sleeping on a bus stop bench near the center of the commercial district of Phoenix. Reggie was a Vietnam vet with mental health issues, including schizophrenia. His family wanted him to live with them, but he struggled to stay in one place for very long and preferred to sleep outdoors. Mm-hmm. The day before he died, his family had arranged for him to live in an assisted care home. Reggie said that he'd stay there and that it seemed like a nice place to live. 
But on the way to his new home, Reggie simply got out of the car at a stoplight and walked away. Oh, God. Around 1 a.m., witnesses heard a loud gunshot and saw a light-colored car speeding away. They saw Reggie slumped over on the bench where he'd been sleeping. Reggie had been shot in the throat with a twenty two caliber rifle. The bullet severed his carotid artery. What the fuck? No. Paramedics were able to stabilize him at the scene and rushed him to the hospital. Reggie lived six days before succumbing to his wounds. His blood loss had been too great. (laughs) Like Tony, there was no clear motive for Reggie's murder. He had no enemies. Detectives wondered almost right away if they had someone driving around shooting people randomly. Little did they know at the time they had it exactly right. Wow. 20-year-old David Estrada was living on the streets of Phoenix. He came from a wealthy family. His father was a lawyer, but when David was 16, his dad was arrested and disbarred for fraud and was serving time in prison. The stress severely affected David's mental health, and he took to the streets. Around midnight on June 29th, a family was leaving the drive-thru at a jack-in-the-box when their headlights lit up a body lying face-up, spread eagle on the sidewalk. They called 911. Police found David dead at the scene. He'd been shot with the same rifle, the twenty-two caliber. Mm Mm-hmm. David's valuables were still at the scene. Cash was strewn alongside his body. There were no leads, just like in the other two cases. Strangely, the same night as David's murder, police received a call that a horse had been shot and killed. The weapon used was the same one that killed David. Yeah, okay, so these people are just like, "Mm, who are the nicest, most harmless, most helpful people? They just had like a sense about it and then just Mm -hmm. went out and shot them all. Yes. God damn it. And I forgot to say in the beginning, there is some... The animal abuse and no yeah <laughs> so if you're sensitive to that just beware it's not gr- i won't get into a lot of gruesome details but it's there god after this dogs horses and even a burrow were being shot at at an alarming rate that's really really extremely fucked up so fucked up i mean it's bad enough that you're killing people obviously but right to then start going after animals why would you do that why because you're horrible that's mm-hmm. horrible yeah all by the same small caliber rifle mm-hmm. these animal killings were unusual and garnered a large amount of media attention people were more concerned by the deaths of these animals than the people who are also being shot and killed yeah you don't fuck with cats i do think it's a really bizarre part of our society that we generally get more upset about people killing dogs than people Mm -hmm. but don't fuck with cats don't fuck with dogs right i think that i think it taps into a different part of your brain i don't know it's like so innocent yeah they're so loving they're just like the only unconditionally loving things on this planet (laughs) it's like Mm -hmm. leave them alone right on november 11th two more dogs were shot A 13-year-old happened to see a light-colored sedan drive up to his house with the window rolled down. He then watched as a man pointed a rifle out the window and shot his dog three times before speeding away. Oh, no. 13 years old. Oh, my God. 15 minutes after the second dog was shot, Nathaniel Schofner was in the front of his house with his dog, having a few beers. A small car drove up and the barrel of a small shotgun was pointing out the window. Without thinking, Nathaniel approached the car to ask the people inside what they were doing. He shouted, hey, what are you doing? Leave that dog alone, you Bill Clinton-looking motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I was hoping to get it out without laughing. No, (laughs) impossible. This started a verbal... I mean, Nathaniel was a badass, this guy. Yes. for it. Also, 
just clever. Like that's mm-hmm. a, that's a good line. Yeah, it really is. This started a verbal fight between Nathaniel and the man in the car who had a gun. Suddenly, the man in the car decided he was done and tried to shoot Nathaniel, but the gun jammed. Nice. This started a fight inside the car where there were two men. One wanted to drive off. The other one wanted to stay and be sure they finished what they'd come to do. After a minute of bickering, a loud blast was heard and Nathaniel fell to the ground. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Nearly an hour later, an off-duty police officer was driving home with his wife when he spotted Nathaniel laying in the gutter. Thinking he was drunk, he called it in and drove home. Mm -mm. When authorities arrived, they also thought he was drunk and passed out. They called paramedics and didn't touch him until they arrived. Mm. When the ambulance got there, they were not able to wake Nathaniel. When they rolled him over, they saw he was bleeding, and the strong smell of beer wasn't coming from the man, but from a beer can that had been shredded by shotgun pellets. Nathaniel was rushed to the hospital but died the next day. God, uh, this is the worst story you've ever told. I know. It Not just really. doesn't get better. It's, I know. It's tied for t- ten ways between I ten know. other awful ones, but jeez Louise. Unlike the baseline killer whose crimes happened in very close proximity, the serial shooter's crimes were more spread out and happened in different jurisdictions. Police hadn't started to link the shootings to each other. December 29th, 2005 was an especially dark day, full of carnage for the Phoenix area. At around 7 p.m., a student was leaving her college class, and as she approached her car, she noticed it was riddled with bullet holes. Someone had been using it for target practice. (laughs) What the fuck? I know. And it just so happened that she had recently fled from her abusive boyfriend. And it was so bad that she had entered into the witness protection program. You What? I know. The really, they had a sixth sense. They were just putting out their little radars for the most vulnerable, nicest possible people right? to fuck with. Like yes. most traumatized. Like yes. what the fuck? This God. poor thing. Thinking she'd been discovered, she called the police and had to move away and create a new identity for herself. <laughs> little did she know at the time, it was just a random act of violence toward her by a tough serial couple killer. of serial killers. Yeah, man. Down the road, a man was locking up his chiropractor's clinic when the lobby window was shattered by a gunshot. He was unharmed and was able to provide police with a description of a light-colored sedan and two men inside. Good. Yep. A little later, Timmy Tordai was walking home from work. Without warning, he felt a sudden jolt and the earbuds he was wearing fell from his ears, landing on the sidewalk. Uh -uh. He fell to the ground and thought he was suffering a heart attack. Then he realized he couldn't move any parts of his body below his neck. Uh-uh. When he saw the blood coming from his body, he realized that he'd been shot. Oh, God. He willed himself to get up and put his hands on the gunshot in his neck. He managed to walk down the street to his house where he got help. Despite massive injuries to his back, neck, and head, he survived. I'm always, I always think it's interesting when people get shot and don't know it. I know. And, you know, how it takes your brain. It's so, it's so shocking. Yes. Um, not that it's the same in it at all, but I got stung the other day by something nasty. Yeah. And it, it was it was sort of that, like, it took me a minute. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. I was, like, running through the yard, <laughs> screaming awful. at my youngest child to get inside because I didn't know what was hurting me. Right. Well, I just can't, I can't imagine it being, like... An actual gunshot. Right. No. Like, so much worse than that. So terrifying. I was driving home from college one time, and it was, like, in the middle of nowhere. 
and I'm just driving along with the windows down and all of a sudden I get this like piercing pain right in the middle of my forehead like the craziest burning feeling no. and I was like and it was god it's like early 2000s probably 2002 maybe and there had been a rash of kids blasting people with super soakers full of bleach. Oh no. oh, no. And I was in the middle of nowhere, Humboldt County, California, middle of nowhere. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> God damn it. Those goddamn kids. And then <laughs> they got you like, right between the eyes when you're in a moving vehicle. There were no cars. There were no children. There was nothing. But I was like, ah, those uh. bastards. And then I look over and there's a bee dying in the seat next to me. Oh, no. But it was so disorienting. This bee just like flew right in the window. <laughs> Ding! Right in the middle of the forehead. So like, same thing. You're just like, ah, I'm under, I'm under siege. Like, what is happening? Right? Yes. <laughs> Ugh. No, that is, I, mm -mm, no, no. Just Just getting ripped out of your day like that. I think that that, that's why daytime stuff, just, that's so scary. Just your reality, just going, oh, do, 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 nope, rip, nothing is what it seems. Your life is over, you know. No, so terrifying. It's just way too scary. Yeah. Before the police could really look into Timmy's case, they received a call that two more bodies had been found around the corner from where Mm -mm. Timmy had been shot. No. 27-year-old Marco Carrillo and 44-year-old Jose Ortiz had both been shot to death. The men were not connected to each other and had died a few short blocks apart. Ugh. Both men were transients, and tragically, no one came to claim their bodies. (laughs) Police couldn't find a motive for the three shootings. No robbery, and the men were not connected in any way. Wow. It looked like they had all been shot with the same weapon. They finally realized they might have someone driving around shooting people at random. Good. But like for real this time. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Around midnight now on December 30th, 21 year old Clarissa Rowley was on the streets working as a sex worker. She noticed a car drive by, then do a U-turn and stop near her. Mm. Thinking it was a customer, she approached the car. As she got closer, she saw the shotgun. She put up her arms to protect herself just before the gun went off. Mm. She was quickly rushed to the hospital and managed to survive. Yay! Mm -hmm. She wasn't able to give a good description of the men inside, but described the car as light-colored and small. Mm -hmm. The shooters continued on that night, shooting five dogs, killing two of them. (laughs) So that was all in one night, all of those. (sighs) Unbelievable. They probably are driving a Ford Escort. (laughs) I'm, that's right wasn't that in the patreon episode was that in the patreon <laughs> I episode so. i said yeah. i think i was, I was that mean i felt really bad for talking saying that ford escorts are my least favorite cars probably tied yeah. with dodge neon so <laughs> and then i felt bad because somebody out there who's listening might drive one Sorry. but yeah <laughs> it's nothing personal all right well you just you haven't been able to let go of it no your sadness you know, I, I don't like hurting people's feelings. I don't like bullies. But is it really bullying if it's a Ford Escort? No. Okay. Nope. Especially because serial shooters drive them. That's Just right. kidding. Just kidding. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a Ford Taurus once. Yeah, that car, that car sucked. The transmission was out. And it, you, it, it took until the car warmed up, you'd get stuck in first gear. <laughs> so I'd be driving, driving down the street. <laughs> In first, just <laughs> waiting. 
sometimes you could like jimmy the little <laughs> they called it the parade car because i could only go 10 miles an hour i forgot about that aspect of that horrible mm-hmm. car god it was awful yeah not like i've driven a bunch of like teslas or anything in my right. lifetime but mm-hmm. that car blew awful this night of violence was so bad it finally got the attention of the different police jurisdictions They realized the crimes throughout the Phoenix area and surrounding towns might be connected. They started to talk to each other and share information. Right on. Yeah. They also began to test bullets found at various crime scenes and were starting to connect the dots. Because the victims of these crimes were poor and often homeless, their murders were not a top priority, Mm -hmm. and the serial shooters were allowed to continue. Mm Mm-hmm. On January 27th, the police held their first press conference and told the public that there was a serial shooter who drove around the metro area targeting animals and people, walking or riding their bikes. They asked for information and cautioned the public to be aware of their surroundings. They put together a task force to work the case. In April, the TV show America's Most Wanted aired a segment covering the serial shootings. During the program and without police consent, they released the type of weapon used during the murders. Police were angry and worried that the killers would start using a different gun in the future. Mm-hmm. After a five-month break from the random shootings on May 2nd, 2006, at around 10 p.m., 17-year-old refugee from Sierra Leone, Kimbili Tambadu, left his family's apartment to walk the two miles to the nearest convenience store to pick up milk for his mom. On his way home, he heard a gunshot. He turned to look behind him and saw blood on his body. Mm-mm. He'd been shot in his torso. <laughs> he managed to stagger to a nearby hotel where the receptionist called 911. Thank God he managed to survive. Oh, thank God. Yay. Yeah. A few minutes later and only two miles away, a man was driving home from visiting his girlfriend when the car in front of him suddenly swerved to avoid something in the road. He slowed down and came upon what he thought was a dog, but it wasn't. Instead, he saw a young woman who was using her arms to try and crawl out of harm's way, <laughs> weakly, no, weakly waving for help. Mm-mm. 19-year-old Claudia Gutierrez-Cruz had been called into work on her day off. When her shift was done, she called a few friends who could normally give her a ride, but no one was available. She'd have to ride the bus home. Mm. She managed to catch the first bus toward home, but missed her transfer bus by just seconds. She'd have to walk the three miles home. And this was the last bus of the night. Oh, no. As she was walking, a small car drove up from behind her, put a shotgun out the window, and shot her in the side at very close range, disemboweling her. Oh, God. No. She was rushed to the hospital where doctors desperately tried to save her, but they were not able to. The, the damage was just really, really terrible. I cannot imagine. No. She died that night during surgery. Ugh. Claudia had only been in the United States since December. She paid someone to help her cross the border from Mexico. She lived with her sister, a few cousins, and her boyfriend. She worked incredibly hard and sent most of the money she made back to her family in Mexico. Her family was devastated with her loss. Claudia was cherished by them all. That's just... Yeah. I know. That's so awful. So awful. On May 17th, Timothy Davenport was walking home after buying a soda. As he cut through a church parking lot, he noticed a light-colored car drive past him and then turn back around to head back towards him. Mm -mm. The car stopped directly in front of Timothy, blocking his path. The driver spoke to him and Timothy moved closer to be able to hear him better. The driver said, quote, I just stopped to see if you were okay. 
Confused and disarmed by the question, Timothy didn't notice someone coming up from behind him. He felt the knife stab him three times in his back before he could turn around. He was then slashed in the face and stabbed again in the side. He heard the man inside the car scream, Stab him! Stab him! Stab him! Oh my god. I know. Sick fucks. I know. Timothy was able to flee and ran to his friend's house to get help. He suffered from a collapsed lung and lost almost eight pints of blood, Mm. but managed to survive. Good. Although he never saw the face of the person who attacked him, the face of the driver was seared into his mind. Good. The serial shooters amped up in July 2006, wounding eight more people and killing their last victim on July 30th. Yeah, let's wrap I mean, eight. this up. Let's wrap I, it up. I know, I know. Eight. Man. Eight more. Nine total in July. God. <sighs> 23-year-old Robin Blasnick was talking on the phone while walking to a friend's house where she was shot with a shotgun. She was wearing her pajamas. She was rushed to the hospital where she later succumbed to her wounds. God. Before they were caught, the serial shooter case had eight dead, but police suspected at least four more murders. 18 more had been wounded, and at least 10 animals had been killed, countless more injured. That is... I... Ugh. I know. If you really think about it, I mean, it's just staggering. Yes. That many people. Yeah. Like, up to 12 connected, possibly 18 more wounded. Yeah. I just... Yeah, they're hunting. They're just yes. hunting. But not like... Like, cool, old-timey hunting, which I don't love hunting. I'm a vegetarian. But, you know, I have respect for people who go out and kill their own food and bring it back. Sure. And blah, blah, blah. But it's like Dick Cheney hunting where they release the caged mm-hmm. birds and then you right. just, you know, right. like no. shitty loser hunter kind of. Right. Yeah. Fucking awful. Like the shittiest, awful. loseriest hunting so ever loser-y. in the history of the fucking Cowardly. World. But then they obviously were getting bored, so they're like, oh, you distract him, and then I'm going to come up and stab him, because mm-hmm. now I really want to... try this out. Yeah. Fuck yeah, you. Too late. Disgusting. You're already a cowardly loser. Yep. So authorities offered a $100,000 reward to catch the serial shooters, and tips started to pour in. One tip would eventually lead them to their killers. Good. Ron Horton was a regular at the Northwest Phoenix Tavern called the Stardust Inn. One night, his friend, Sam Dieterman, sat with him and wanted to talk. The more Sam drank, the more he talked. He eventually told Ron that he had been responsible for some of the serial shootings that were happening and started to cry. They just can't keep it to themselves, can they? Nope. He said he felt awful for what he had done. Ron didn't believe him at first, but was tempted by the $100,000 reward. Mm -hmm. And after Robin's murder, the last murder, he decided to call the tip line. Ron gave police Sam's cell phone which they traced, and he also provided them with the name of a man with whom Sam had once lived, Jeff Hausner. Mm -hmm. Police put Jeff's apartment under surveillance. They then asked Ron to arrange to meet Sam for drinks. On August 1st, 2006, the task force stalked out the Stardust Inn with undercover officers inside and out. Detectives were sitting in an unmarked car in the parking lot when a light blue Toyota Camry pulled in. Sorry, Court, it wasn't a Ford Escort. Dang it! (laughs) The officers ran the plates and they came back to a Dale Hausner. They had already heard of Jeff, but this was the first time that police became aware of his younger brother, Dale. Uh, yikes. Jeff dropped off Sam at the bar and then drove away. Officers followed Jeff as he drove to the Metro Center Mall. When he went into the mall, the officers put a GPS device on his car. Gotcha, sucker. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> That's probably what they said when they put it on there. <laughs> I certainly would. Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, when Sam was done having drinks with Ron, he called Dale to come pick him up. Undercover police. And Ron is the guy with helping with the tips. Right. right? Yeah. Okay. Undercover police were there to watch Dale and Sam open the trunk of Dale's car and take out a bag that was about the length of a shotgun. Uh-huh. Instead of heading directly back to the apartment, they wandered through the city. There were nine surveillance vehicles following the pair, including from the air. Police officers realized with shock that Sam and Dale were on the hunt looking for victims. I was going to say, is he recruiting? Oh, wait, yeah. so it's not Ron, it's Sam and Dale. Right. Yeah, so, right. Dale came and picked up Sam Ron Got still it. at the Stardust Inn, I hope. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so they were on the hunt looking for victims, mm-hmm. slowing down when someone passed on a bike. Ugh. They would then make a U-turn and wander into neighborhoods that were not on the way to anywhere. Mm-hmm. Quote, for an hour and a half, we followed them as they cruised, one officer said. He continued, it was the worst night of my law enforcement career. They worried that the gun could come out of a window at any moment and they would not be able to intervene. Yeah, why don't you, uh, I mean, I guess you got to get them on something. You got to wait. Guess so. Oh, yeah. no. After the pair would pass by, one of the officers would shut out the window at people on the street and tell them to go home and take cover. I just cannot imagine. Mm-mm. Like, you're just driving around Mm-mm. trying to figure out what the fuck these two are up to. No. You have to tell people to go in their house. Get a, like, ice cream truck and just start blasting that shit everywhere. Just be like, don't worry, we're on it. But in the meantime, <laughs> we're slowly following these freaky mm-hmm. freaks, losery cowards around town. But in the meantime, go home. Mm-hmm. We just got to wait for them to aim it at a dog or something, and then we can right. get them. Yeah. Luckily for the potential victims that night, no one was shot. Oh, my God. I would... Yeah tip over the table if they had just watched somebody Let get shot. It happen. Yes. Yeah. The next day, police were able to secure an emergency wiretap through a process that allows a law enforcement to begin surveillance before a judge has signed off. Which mm-hmm. sounds pretty problematic. Yes. <laughs> Question mark face? What? Mm-hmm. Yep. I That's guess That's the whole an, point. Uh, I know. I know. I didn't, I honestly, I didn't get into the details or look into the details mm-hmm. of what that is exactly. Or I know that it came up in question later in the trial, whether or not the wiretaps could be right. admissible. And it, they were. So whatever law they followed is legal. Legitimate. But yeah. I mean, I don't know that I like the sound of it. This seems like a perfect uh, application of that law. Right. right. But... I'm sure that it's imperfectly applied over and over and over and over and over and over again. Right. Which I don't like. So they bugged Sam and Dale through the apartment next door and recorded their conversation. The officers couldn't believe what they heard. Oh, tell me everything. As police listened, Dale talked about wanting to be the best serial killer ever. The two joked about the most recent murder of Robin and made cartoonish mocking voices as he described her reaction to being shot. Oh, no. Which makes me want to fucking vomit. Yes. Yes. They could also hear the movie The Jungle Book in the background. What? Playing for Dale's toddler daughter. No. (laughs) I don't know which is worse. Originally, I thought that that was just like their favorite movie and they're just some kind of weird, like, twisted Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Mm -hmm. like fucking super babies or something, you know? Yep. which is super creepy but the fact that he's got a baby daughter Mm -hmm. no yep 
They talk about how much fun it is to shoot people in the back when they don't expect a thing. Oh, my God. Sam says, quote, my favorite thing is, you know, when somebody is walking away, it gives me an extra couple seconds to aim. I don't have to worry about them looking. Yeah, because you're a fucking loser. Cowardly, Mm -hmm. losery loser. Late that night, police made their move. Because children were in the house, they waited for their opportunity. Finally, Sam came outside to throw out the trash, carrying a garbage bag that contained a shotgun shell and a map of the shootings. SWAT team officers confronted him, and Sam surrendered without a fight. He gave them a key to the apartment. The police entered quietly. Dale was preoccupied with something on the counter and didn't notice. But when the police announced their presence, he was startled and shouted, Jesus Christ, then he fell to the floor. The serial shooters had finally been caught. Yay! Put him in a, like a slightly damp bag forever. Mm-hmm. Yes. And just Full anytime it starts to dry out or get comfortable, just moisten it again. Mm-hmm. Just enough. Forever. Mm-hmm. Fuck them. So let's just talk briefly about who these fucking assholes were. Man babies. Yeah. Dale Havlisner was born in 1973 in Nebraska and was youngest of five boys. Not much is known about Dale's childhood, but documents show that he lived a troubled life of tragedy and instability. Well, (laughs) could have guessed that. Mm -hmm. Dale made his living as a freelance photographer, bartender, and custodian at the Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport. I wonder if I've met him. I would say I've been there so many times. Me too. Yikes. Yeah, because that's like a, that's a hub. Mm Mm-hmm. Gross. He had a public access TV show and had done a TV commercial for a law firm that specialized in personal injury cases. Oh my God. He's like a total Luca Magnata. Like if mm-hmm. I can't get famous doing this stupid stuff, then I'm just mm-hmm. going to get famous killing people. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Dale ran a lucrative steel to order shoplifting service. What? He would take orders. Yeah. He would take orders from fellow workers on the types of alcohol or music or movies they wanted and then go out and steal it and then sell it back to them at a discount. Wait, wait. So he would, he would talk to his buddies and be like, Hey, what, I, you know, what do you want? And they'd be oh, like, sell I it love. back, sell it to the person who asked So they'd for steal it. it. Yeah. And then he'd right. sell it to them for cheaper than they could go buy it themselves. <laughs> cool. Yep. Dale was also a ladies man who kept journals about his dates with multiple women. He later said in court it was so that he could keep his stories straight. He was even dating a woman with a doctorate at the time of his arrest. Mm-mm. Yep. And I guess that they they had to bring a lot of these women in. It was legitimate. They had to bring him into the God. trial because he was using them as alibi. <laughs> and then they would come in and be like, no, he wasn't with me that night. I'm like so. pinching my eyeballs straight well just wait courtney and see their pictures it's just it's one of those it's like how (laughs) in the world i need to start some kind of campaign for straight women to not settle i know stop doing it you are worth more than this you do not need to date man baby dale right gross it's so gross so sorry to them yep Mm mm-hmm In 1994, Dale was married and living in Texas with his wife, Karen, and two young sons. One night, while the family was on a road trip, his wife fell asleep at the wheel, and their car drove into a river. Oh, no. Yeah. Dale was sleeping in the passenger seat at the time of the crash. When he woke up, he managed to get out of the sinking car. He then repeatedly dived down into the submerged vehicle to try and rescue his sons, who were trapped Mm -mm. in the car seats Mm -mm. in the back seat. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. I know. Okay, if there is maybe one thing that could maybe 
justify losing your goddamn mind. That is it. Yeah, but I think, I don't know, like, it's so awful. And I'm really sorry for their family. And but like, you'd think it would just give him a tremendous amount of empathy. Yes. Well, generally speaking, that's what happens. Yes. Yes. Tragically, he could not rescue the boys and they both died. His wife survived, but their marriage couldn't. The two divorced in October of 2001. They then almost immediately remarried. But by the end of the month, Karen had filed to have the second marriage annulled when she says he became physically abusive. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's a situation where you're like, I want everybody to feel as much pain as I feel all the time. Like a misery loves company kind of awful. Yeah. Yeah. He continued to harass her even after the annulment, repeatedly making unwanted calls to her workplace. Nightmare. Yep. Dale fathered another child later, and by all accounts, he was a loving father. On the night that the police bugged his apartment, they heard Dale talking to his daughter. As she said goodnight to Dale, they heard her tiny voice say, quote, Don't kill anybody. Mm-mm. Dale replied, Oh, all right, since you asked. Mm-mm. That's so fucked up. What? 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 No. After Dale's arrest, police found scrapbooks filled with newspaper articles about the serial shooters and also about the baseline killer. Mm-hmm. They realized that Dale was competing with his rival murderer. <laughs> oh my god. Wow. Mm-hmm. Sam Dieterman was born in 1975 and grew up in Minnesota. He married young and fathered a child. He was an electrician by trade, but was unable to hold down a job because of his drug abuse issues. He was unemployed and homeless and ended up living with Dale Hausner's older brother, Jeff, in West Phoenix. Mm-hmm. The two would go out and shoplift bottles of booze so that they could get drunk. Jeff introduced Sam to Dale, telling him that Sam was as good a shoplifter as Dale was. Sam and Dale became fast friends and partners in crime, shoplifting at first, earning hundreds of dollars from the enterprise, but they also reveled in vandalism. Mm-hmm. They drove to local casinos to gamble, and when they left the parking lots, they often slashed the tires of cars parked near them. They set fire to palm trees or garbage piles. And before they were caught, they were photographed on surveillance videos as they set fires in two separate Walmarts. It's just a pack of bored, angry people, men. Grown-ass fucking men, (laughs) yeah. So scary! It's so scary. yep. Uh, Sam was even arrested once for shoplifting at at a Walmart. Most of what police and prosecutors know about the early stages of the serial shooters came from Sam. He told them that during the months of 2005, the brothers, Dale and Jeff, would drive together shooting animals and people. What? Yep. But after Jeff got a job, they decided to stop and destroyed the 22 caliber rifle that they used in the earlier crimes. So that was the five-month break. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whoa. Man. So after a five-month break, according to Sam, Dale and Sam were driving together when Dale suddenly powered down the passenger window and told Sam to lean back. Dale then pulled a sawed-off shotgun out from between the car seats and pointed it across Sam's body. He then put the barrel out of the passenger side window and shot Kabili Tambadu. God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's one thing to be like, well, she's so big cool. And then, mm-hmm. I don't know, light a stick on fire. I don't like, I don't know what guy, like, you know, deviant yeah. kind of stupid shit people do. Right? That you're like, whoa, that's shocking. I wasn't expecting that. But that, like, what? You got, I know. 
That is some balls, man. It's unbelievable. They then drove around the corner and Dale said it was Sam's turn. Sam took the gun and saw a woman walking alone. They drove behind her and Sam ruthlessly shot Claudia. Mm. They sped away laughing as she suffered in the road. The next day, Dale put the morning newspaper on the kitchen table. Quote, hey, dude, you got the first murder of the year in Scottsdale, he said. I'm jealous. Oh, my God. Yep. And I didn't go into details in this one, but there was another story of the two of them shooting a guy, an older man, and then going around and parking and getting out. It was during the day, mm-hmm. getting out and watching him like suffer and bleed and stuck around long enough for the police to get there and offered their assistance. And oh it was just like God. really fucked up shit. Yeah. So while awaiting trial, Dale tried to kill himself in jail by hoarding over-the-counter medicine and taking them all at once. In April 2008, Sam, who had already confessed everything, pleaded guilty to the two murders he took part in. He killed Claudia on the first night shooting with Dale, and he was in the car when Dale shot and killed Robin Blasnick. Sam testified that he deliberately missed the other times he was handed the shotgun. Sam's plea agreement did not include an exemption from the death penalty. He still needed to stand trial so that a jury could decide whether to sentence him to death or life in prison. Mm-hmm. The next month, Jeff Hausner, Dale's older brother, was finally publicly identified as a participant in the serial shooter crimes. Mm-hmm. He was indicted for two incidents that occurred while all three were joyriding in Dale's car. It turns out that Jeff was the one that snuck up behind Timothy Davenport and stabbed him multiple times. They did this to other victims as well. He pled guilty to one stabbing and faced trial for the second. Police believed he had taken part in some of the shootings, but could never come up with enough evidence to charge him with murder. Oh, no. Dale Hausner's trial started in September 2008. He faced eight counts of first-degree murder. 25 counts of drive-by shooting, 17 counts of aggravated assault, 18 counts of attempted first-degree murder, 9 counts of cruelty to animals. Wow. Three firearm violations, two conspiracy charges, and one for arson. Wow. I know. That's a a lot. It is so many. Of things. The trial would last seven months. Wow. I'm actually surprised it got through it in seven months. It's so many Seriously. things Seriously. to go through. Keep that poor trying. jury. Quote, this is going to be a long, painful, bloody road. Deputy County Attorney Vince Imbordino told the jury as he showed them photographs of the victims. He continued, quote, this is not a crime show. People were actually killed. The bullets were real. The blood was real. The fear was real. The pain was real. Yes. After a long trial, the jury easily found Dale guilty, but not of everything he was charged with. There was not enough evidence to find beyond a reasonable doubt that he was guilty of two of the murders and five of the other crimes. <laughs> they I, also found him. <laughs> I, no, I, I'm i sure that was the case, but also just just sneak him in there, guys. Just, right. <laughs> it's fine. No, they're doing their best. Like, I know. I know. No. I cannot imagine being like, no. okay. What do we have on that one again? Oh, God, oh. I can't imagine. No, no. no. They also found him eligible for the death penalty. During the final sentencing stage, Dale waived mitigating testimony that might dissuade the jurors from handing down the death sentence. Wow. Dale did, however, address the jury and compared himself to the 1960s cult leader and murderer of Charles Manson. Eye roll, eye roll, eye roll, eye roll. 
quote, when you think of Manson 50 years from now, you'll think of Hausner, he said, which is just like, yeah, guess what, dude? Nobody knows who you are. I've never heard of this. I've listened to every true crime podcast, watched every show, never heard of Mm -hmm. you. No. And he killed so many people. Yeah. And guess what, Dale? Nobody Nobody cares. Nope. Without much deliberation, the jury sentenced him to death. I don't believe in the death penalty, but good at the same time. Jeff Hausner, so Dale's brother, went on trial next. And in June 2009, he was found guilty of attempted murder and aggravated assault for one of the stabbings. He was given 11 and 18 years uh, sentences to be served simultaneously. And he was already serving seven and a half years for another stabbing. (sighs) He was never charged in any of the shootings. Why? Yeah, they just didn't have enough. Just didn't have. I think most of the evidence they had on Dale was from Sam. Right. Sam wasn't with Jeff for any of the shootings. They didn't have what they needed. Damn it. Sam had his sentence. Sam had his sentencing trial a month later. The jury considered his testimony against Dale and spared his life. He was sentenced to life in prison without a chance of parole. Good. On June nineteenth, twenty thirteen, Dale Hausner was found unresponsive in his prison cell. He had overdosed on an antidepressant, which he had obtained from another prisoner. He died that day in the hospital. Dale, I don't think too many people were probably very sad to see you go. Nope. And there you go, guys. Damn it. There is the story of the 2006 Phoenix serial shooters. Oh, they're the worst. The worst. God, what a grody, grody, just like, ugh feels so, mm-hmm. like, American, too, you know? Like, yes. That's what it upsets yep. me the most. Just, yep. yeah, we're going yep. to clean up the scum, and everyone's going to love us for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ugh. I hate you. I you hate that. Hate You're not famous. We're deleting this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's one of those, like, fuck those guys. The only reason you would tell the story is because these victims don't. Right. You don't know about them. Yes. It's true. And the baseline killer was doing this to a similar demographic at the exact same time. Which is why we don't know about either of these killers. Right. I'm going to send you a picture of these guys. I can't wait. I'm going to find the one that's alive in jail and marry him. (laughs) Immediately. Oh, God, Courtney. (laughs) Oh, no. Dale's the blonde. Sam's the... Uh, dark-haired guy god dale is slightly better looking but slightly he looks like like a caricature he looks mm-hmm. like kind of like jay moore the actor jay moore mm-hmm. with a head that's exact same size mm-hmm. as his neck <laughs> yep and yeah. also uh like somebody superimposed like a 1950s um, like oatmeal child advertisement <laughs> on a f- man's face, uh, like on a man's body. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, like, I was going to say that. I Sam's... love to be some oodly Quaker oats. oats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ew. Yeah, and Sam reminds me of like every character, like um, caveman cartoon character. Yes, that you could imagine. Big just, time. Like, uh, hunched over. Also, the bodyguard from I Tonya. Oh, God. Yes. Right? So, yes. 100%. (laughs) Damn it. Yep. Oh, another one in the murder books. (laughs) Unfortunately. (laughs) Good job, though, man. Way to tell those two horrifyingly awful stories. 
I know. Before we started recording, I mentioned that there was another, recently another mm. Phoenix serial shooter. I was like, maybe I should just cover that one. But <laughs> I, think, I think I've had enough of these serial killings for a while. Welcome to They Will Kill. We only talk about Phoenix now. <laughs> they will kill in Phoenix. They will kill in Phoenix. You guys, I'm really sorry. <laughs> God. <laughs> I mean, it's really hot there, so I'm not surprised that people's brains just don't boil a little bit and get right. a little wh- wackety. Yeah. You know? Ugh. Too much heat. Mm-hmm. Too much of that shimmeriness that happens on road. Mirages. Yes, exactly. Just Way too many mirages. I can't Yeah. Too many guys sitting next to each other and one of them looks at the other one and he turns into a pork chop. Mm-hmm. And then the other one like licks his mm-hmm. chops. Too much of that going on. 100%. Hot dog man. Hot dog man. No, Phoenix is a desert island. But yep. <laughs> no, stay out nope. of Phoenix or you'll mm-hmm. get shot randomly on the street or become a serial killer those are the only options and we have yep. a lot of very dear friends in phoenix so yep. and i think they listen to the show too so hey guys beware whew, you have it it is gonna get ugly <laughs> <laughs> it already got ugly it's gonna get ugly yeah. again oh knock wood i hope it stays i love phoenix i love the desert i love the mm-hmm. cactuses i hope it <laughs> i hope you got it out of your system <laughs> it's all uphill from here I hope so. I know. I'm over here just like completely brain dead from it all. I bet. Yeah. There is like a certain amount of fatigue. Like some of these stories, it's so many twists and turns and stuff. You're like, oh, what? Oh, this is great. You know, like Mm -hmm. I I like to now like pick a story that I can tell is like super zany, but then I don't, I just commit to it. And so I'm sort of like learning it as I write it and then it keeps me really engaged. But serial killers. Oh, yeah. It's hard, yeah, man. It it's a hard. slog. Because they blow. They do. Yep. Yep. You think you're like super fascinated by them until you do a true crime podcast. And then you're just like, nah, they're all just mm-hmm. sort of losers. Awful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Terrible human beings. Yep. Um, I have a little story. I have one ditty. too. You oh, tell good. yours first. Yeah, you tell okay. yours first. Today at lunchtime, I yep. was sitting with my children. They were eating lunch. And my oldest, who just turned six, happy birthday, buddy. Happy birthday, buddy. He uh, he got up. He needed to fill up his water bottle. We have like a little Brita filter or whatever. So he's filling it up. And he turns around with a full water bottle. And he's like, Mommy, can I just put a little pinch of salt in here? <laughs> if I had been near him, I would have smacked that water bottle out of his hand. I was like, no, no. no. And he, he got sick. I'm a Munchausen's mom. <laughs> he got so scared and he jumped and he was like, why? I put salt on my food sometimes. Oh my God. He's just He's having like, like a, a cult, taking a culinary journey and you're like, no, they're going to come. They're going to take oh you away. <laughs> then I kind of calmed down and I was like, well, you know, it can make you sick. You don't want to drink water. You don't want to drink salt in your water. And he was like, kind of just a side eye at me like, you are so weird. <laughs> He's like, you know, uh, we've put fruit in my water before. Why don't we just put a little salt in my water? Yeah, totally. I mean, the poor thing. Poor thing. I was just thinking about that case, too. Must have zapped it into my brain from afar. Mm-hmm. God, so fucked up. So- <laughs> anyway, jeez. 
I'm glad He's you didn't, lucky I'm let glad him you go didn't outside. accidentally Munchausen your son. Or like if he had <laughs> set you up, like framed you for Munchausen's acts, just be, being adorable and delightful, and like being experimental with his water. That's right. I know, right? Yeah. I, know, I swear to God, he just wanted to have a flavored... Yeah, salt like, water <laughs> beverage with his lunch. <laughs> I should have just let him try it. Like, gross, dude. Ugh, no. Salt doesn't taste good. Anyway, I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, I'm glad that it worked out in your favor. And I'm not uh, having to, like, write a letter to CPS and on your behalf right now. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, and before I forget, it's going to be your birthday. Yeah. This out. Oh, my God. So that's birthday. right. Thank you. In the future. It's your birthday today. It's in your birthday future. in a couple days. Everybody wish Courtney happy birthday. Woo! I was like, right I'll prob- we'll probably be out of quarantine by my birthday. No, of course not. Of course not. Because know. you know what? Leos aren't going to get out of quarantine. It's mm-hmm. just that the way the karma of being a Leo is going to work. Yep. Speaking of birthday quarantines, <laughs> I remember going into quarantine and Ryan and I had plans to actually go to Chicago. We wanted to go to Chicago right. for his birthday. And we went into quarantine on like March 13th mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Ryan's birthday is on March 27th mm-hmm. and I actually thought well maybe we'll still make it uh-huh. I know we were so adorable Two back then weeks. weren't we we were yeah. adorable back then adorable I know never you could I never thought we'd still be here like we are no I did think there was a chance that we'd be out by my birthday but again mm-hmm. it's Leo karma that we all just have to like not get dressed up and stay in your yard and nobody cares about you if you don't <laughs> get to go to a fancy dinner and be super hedonistic because that's what Leos are. You just mm-hmm. have to be humble and think about your actions. Yep. That's all right. Sorry, Court. It's okay. I, I'm fine with it. I've had, I'm like, once I made the adjustment, like, it's fine. I still have a lovely life. I've just like enjoyed the things I can do instead of the things right. I can't. Then I told Laura she had to give me really good presents. Uh-oh. I know. I've been thinking about what I haven't gotten you anything. I'm telling all my secrets. And I was sitting there earlier like, shit, dude. I don't know what. What do you want? I have no idea. Honestly, Laura already got all the stuff. So I don't. Okay. I don't really care. I really do feel just very grateful and lucky this year. And I've had like fucking massive emotional and spiritual growth since this all started so mm-hmm. i'm just gonna feel real happy that i am not dead yeah, right <laughs> for my birthday Seriously. Yeah. okay feels, i think that's a good you know yeah feels pretty cool yeah um into it. speaking of spiritual growth i'll tell you a little funny story so i was this is dedicated to dick big dick mcgillicuddy because he'll love this oh, story or she I can't I, wait. i'm assuming it's a he but I don't want to gender our trolls. Um, I, we had a shoot. I, I sat on Skype for two days, Skyped into a shoot that happened in Portland. And it sucks because it's probably the shoot I've looked the most forward to in my entire 11 year career. It was, it's all about being queer and I'm queer. And that really is a fun topic for a queer person to talk about, you know? Right. So, we had this beautiful shoot. We had 11 different people participate. It was interview based. And they are just this rainbow spectrum of fucking angels come down from heaven. And I'm like watching all these beautiful people who are non-binary and, you know, BIPOC folks and trans folks and just like soaking it in and loving every minute of it and learning and like crying and challenging myself and fabulous amazing experience amazing experience so 
the day after the shoot, I was driving and I'm like thinking, I've been thinking about this a lot. This is really, really woo woo. So here you go, big dick, McGillicuddy. Um, (laughs) So I've been thinking about like, I'm watching these people and I just think they're breathtaking. Like I'm in awe of people, you know, especially Mm -hmm. people who are like outsider othered, you know, trans people, black people, BIPOC people. I'm just, there's this sort of energy in this like divinity that Mm -hmm. they possess that I cannot access. And I think that a lot of the oppression and destruction that people experience is like fear and jealousy of that divinity. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm driving around thinking about how these people are the kings and queens and they're closer to the divine and about how like white people can't handle it because they're jealous and they know that they they don't have access to that. And like in the primordial beginning, like they were the kings and queens and we know it. And so rather than like honor it, we destroy it, you know, mm-hmm. like we just... Mm-hmm. Not in we, not me, <laughs> but, right, right. you know, so that's yeah, the bigger we, the bigger mm-hmm. we. And so I'm just like fucking groovy feeling this thoughts and like, be like thinking about how and mothers, I think mothers, women, you know, there's this divinity, mm-hmm. like you can create life that's very threatening, that's terrifying and jealousy inc- inciting and so I'm feeling this and I'm like, well, I am, if I'm in the court of the kings and the queens, I'm the warrior because I'm a protector. And then there's the midwives and the healers and the, you know, and like, I was just like really <laughs> feeling it, you know, <laughs> having witnessed these people, these beautiful, beautiful people speak for two days. So I'm thinking these thoughts, <laughs> I'm like driving in the middle of fucking nowhere, Indiana, and I mean, like, nowhere, nobody's around me. And all of a sudden, this goddamn turkey <laughs> jumps in the middle of the road. And it's like, you know, turkeys are, like, really cool and beautiful, but also kind of dorky. Like terrifying. Yeah. Man. And this giant-ass turkey just, boink, <laughs> with his little turkey neck. And I was like, motherfucking Thanksgiving, goddamn pilgrims trying to colonize my groovy thoughts. Just stop my car dead in the uh, fucking center no. of the road. And I was like, <laughs> it was so funny. It's so like, funny. Just like tapping into uh, the infinity and like really feeling it. And then, nope. Nope. Christopher Columbus. Beep, 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 beep. I was like, fuck. <laughs> I'll get you get at every turn. <laughs> get back in your lane, you little white girl. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so i do think that the universe has a sense of humor and i very much appreciated christopher columbus the turkey colonizing my like beautiful moment (laughs) and the other thing is i do believe that caucasian people could be invited to participate on the court i know they could so mm-hmm. stop being the fucking gross-ass, cowardly, losery destroyer and come on over to the court and the army or whatever your role is mm-hmm. and protect. Yeah, stop being the Sam and Dale. Yes. Right? heads of the world. No. Yeah. It's so beautiful over here. It's so Seriously. beautiful over here. It's infinity. Tap into the divine, you dummies. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the turkey's gonna get you. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> you know, just like oh, God. <laughs> Uh, Anything else we have to talk I about? Think I think so. Let me check my notes. Yeah, mine. I just my note says drinking salt water. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good note, man. Nope, that's it. We love yep. you guys, and we do. Come on over to the social media at They Will Kill at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Rate, review, subscribe to us about mm-hmm. us before mm-hmm. for us, please. Yep. We love it. Got to bury that big dick McGillicuddy. Or if yeah, you are one. a big dick McGillicuddy, you can yeah. s- talk too. Yeah. Or email us. We'll talk to you about it. Yeah. You can email us at theywillkillpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, thank you, AJ Bergantz, thank for you. our music. Thank you so much. Uh, head over to Patreon. We're over there. Yeah. If you want some more episodes, do you miss our voices? We will talk to you more over there. If you're sitting around on a Saturday and you're like, man, I really wish that there was a sound of a stretched out rubber band just screeching (laughs) around in my ear right now. That's me. Get over there. Pay me $3 and you can have at least like 40 minutes of that. (laughs) That's how my voice sounds in my own ears. Is that all of it? Yeah. Yeah. We love you guys. We love you so much. Thank you for listening. And remember. Um, okay. This is a funny thing that keeps, I keep thinking about this. Speaking of like spiritual growth and shit. So my friend back in Portland had a daughter. She was about 10 years old and then he had a baby and she, you know, he's a great father and he's talking to his daughter and he's like, you know, how are you feeling about the, with the ba- about the baby? And she was like, you know, sometimes I get frustrated and I feel jealous and I feel these different feelings. And he was like, well, do you want to talk about it? And she was like, you know, dad, I've thought about it. And I think it's just a bone I've got to pick with myself. (laughs) (laughs) As as I've been going through this journey of growth and pushing myself past previous limits and opening myself up, you know, vulnerably and people have pushed back. Mm-hmm. A lot. I've had a lot of pushback in my life lately regarding, you know, relationships with BIPOC people and where I fit in the world and then conservative people. There's a lot of pushback from all different angles. And I think the best thing to think in those moments is, you know, that hurts, but that's a bone I'm going to have to pick with myself. Mm-hmm. You know, lots of bones to pick with myself, too. Yep. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get through it together, yeah, you guys. Just keep on picking. Yeah. <laughs> Picking and protecting. We love you. Yeah. We love you so much. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.